everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We're in the middle of this series. I, I suppose it could have easily been called viral verses. It's, it's about those inspirational verses that Christians love to put on t-shirts and sometimes they are misapplied, misquoted, misunderstood. And, uh, and just when I think we've covered, you know, the ultimate coffee mug verse, I think of another one that might be even more popular, more viral, more quotable. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes they are misused. And uh, this verse, I've noticed, is particularly popular among athletes and among underdogs and competitive folks, among the dude bro set, right? And this one uh, got some attention a few years ago when it ended up on uh, Tim Tebow's face, one of the most popular and worst quarterbacks the NFL has ever seen. That's cover of Sports Illustrated. And then the all-time goat of mixed martial arts, John Jones, has it uh, prominently tattooed across his chest. Uh, Philippians 4.13. What is Philippians 4.13? Well, first of all, Philippians is a letter or a book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. 4.13 means it's the fourth chapter in the 13th verse, and here it is. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Some of you raised in the church may have heard it like this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's pretty easy to see why it ends up on tattoos and on t-shirts and coffee mugs easy to see why a verse like that goes viral because, you know, we've talked about this sort of name it and claim it mentality that some have, maybe a mentality that all Christians have been tempted with at one time or another. And if there ever was a name it and claim it verse uh, that you'd be tempted to use, one that you can apply to almost anything, and maybe even, you know, one that'll pump you up more than playing Eye of the Tiger or we will rock you or thunderstruck. Am I showing my age here? How about something by Drake for the kids? And uh, I mean, it's a pep talk. It's a pep talk. That verse tells you that you can do anything with Christ on your side because you'll have his strength, which means nothing is impossible. Nothing is insurmountable. You can do anything, everything through Christ who strengthens you. No wonder it's engraved on keychains and license plates. It's become even sort of a, a mantra to some Christians. You know, people recite it over and over when they need to, you know, draw strength or defeat an enemy or conquer a difficult task or just to get psyched up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens it's all about believing that all things are possible to those who believe. You can overcome any obstacle. You can climb to new heights. You can embrace your destiny. 
God said you can, so you can. Do you want that job? You want to find your soulmate? You want to make more money? Get that house? Sign that deal? Win the big game? Make it on American Idol? No problem. You can accomplish all things through Christ who gives you strength. But is that what it's really saying? Or, or could we be in danger at least of maybe stretching the application a little bit, um, treating it a bit like a motivational speech, like your own spiritual version of a Peloton coach avatar. You know, come on, you got this. Just five more. You're an animal. You can do this all day. Come on, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. How about we dig into this full passage uh, that the verse is taken from? Because, you know, over these past five weeks or so, we've been trying to read the verse in context. Context is so important. And what I'm hoping that this series might do, uh, maybe even an idea that will outlast the series long before it's forgotten or long after it's forgotten, is that we might get in the habit when reading the Bible of asking good questions of the text. Has this verse been cherry-picked? Uh, what was the actual context of this verse? Who's writing it and why? What's the big theme? How would the original audience have understood this verse uh, as opposed to a 21st century Canadian culture? And this is not to ruin anyone's Bible reading experience. It's actually to enhance it. Because... Um, if you see it more than sort of like, if the Bible is more than kind of a, oh Lord, I need a, I need a good one today. And, you know, uh, I need a little rocket fuel, Lord. You're, you get in the habit of sort of cherry picking. So let's begin with the full passage it's taken from. As I said, it's, it's from the New Testament. It's a letter uh, to the Philippians, or a letter called Philippians. We call it Philippians because it was a letter written to this community of Christ followers, the church in the city of Philippi. So if you were from Philippi, you were a Philippian. If you're from Philadelphia, you're a Philadelphian. In all seriousness, if, you, if you're from Newmarket, what are, what are you? Newmarket. Newmarket again? Uh, I, I honestly don't know. Newmarketonian? Oh, that's a real, that's, that just glides off the tongue. All the places around here, Aurora, are you an Aurorian? Yeah? Hollandlandiite? Keswickian? Guys, quit getting me off track here. I'm trying to, <clears throat> does anyone know where Paul was when he wrote this letter? Prison, very good, very good. Is that Declan? Yeah, no, I knew that. Oh, good, don't take his credit. Uh, he's in prison, and not only in prison, he's in prison for his faith. He's quite literally in chains in Rome. And check this out, Paul is actually not doing well physically either. You probably wouldn't do well physically just from being in those Roman prisons. They were not nice, they were underground, they dropped food into you. Uh, the Philippians knew that he was in prison, and they knew that he was not doing well physically. And Paul knew that they knew. 
And he knew that they were concerned for him. And so in chapter 4, he actually addresses their concern for him. And so knowing now what we know about the context, uh, Paul's in chains, he's in prison, he's in secular enemy territory in Rome, he's not doing well physically, so he's writing to people who he knows are concerned about his well-being. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, here's what he says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So you see the context of this verse? It's about finding strength in Christ to have contentment. Uh, To have contentment in Christ regardless of the circumstances. In fact, particularly when those circumstances are hard, when they include suffering. It's not about the ability to succeed or win or or gain, or break the world record, or smash your opponent. It's about finding strength in Christ to be content, even joyful, in the midst of of hellish circumstances even. It's about getting through times of persecution. This is written by a man, by the way, who knew a thing or two about hellish circumstances. He was living it out in real time. He's a guy who can speak with some integrity on this topic. And because uh, he, I mean, first of all, he's in prison for no other reason than because he loves Jesus and wanted to share Jesus. So if that is what Philippians 4.13 is really about, it does kind of seem the opposite of what it's often used for. Because most of the time, if you notice this, Philippians 4.13 is kind of whipped out to expect or, or claim, or even demand a change in our situation, a change in our circumstances. But it seems like Paul is using it here to accept the situation, to find strength to endure the situation, to be content in Christ despite the situation. And this is such a good word for us today because we don't do good at this. Uh, contentment is not something we are particularly known for in Canada in 2022. I'd say even particularly at this time and in, in, in this culture. I think most of us, myself included, are much more driven by the if-onlys. If only I had that. If only I could do this. If only I, I could go there. If, if, uh, if I could be happy if only I'd met the right person. Um, but what Paul wrote to these Philippians is about living more deeply than that. He didn't live a life of if onlys. He lived a life of as only. Meaning, as only someone who was in a relationship with Christ could live. You see the difference between if only and as only? And if, if, if anyone knew how to do that, it was Paul. Let me just give you a quick overview of some of the other stuff Paul had gone through in his life by this point. In fact, Paul gives sort of his own 
Wikipedia entry in another letter, 2 Corinthians, here's how he skims over the major events of his life. Here's what he says. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped more times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have, been, I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Sounds like a country and western song. I have read a lot of biographies of a lot of people, and I can't think of many who have experienced the kinds of hardships of Paul, and yet he writes, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. So what's the secret? Well, that's what Philippians 4.13 is about. His secret when faced with the difficulties of life that, that he could endure anything through Christ and with Christ who gives him the strength to do it. Jonathan Merritt is a blogger, an author, a guy who's writing I, I like, and, and he, this is what he said, I think more articulately than I could. He says, Paul isn't writing people in this verse that they should dream bigger dreams. He's reminding them that they can endure the crushing feeling of defeat if and when those dreams aren't realized. He's not encouraging Christ followers to go out and conquer the world. He's reminding them that they can press on when it seems the world has conquered them. So what this verse is about is how our relationship with Christ transcends the events of the world, the circumstances in our life. How our relationship with him is, is more important than what is going on around us or even what is happening to us. The, the, that circumstances, Paul says, are secondary. It's not about what's going on in our life, but who we are, about what we are becoming uh, and what sort of character is being built. It reminds me, you know, a lot of, of the verse we did last week, the love of money. You think it's a section of scripture about money, and when you read the context, it's more about godliness with contentment. Uh, the verse before, uh, two weeks ago, ask for anything in my name. You think it's a verse about prayer. It's really about giving God glory in the midst of everything. And I'm realizing that all of the true context of these verses raises a real important question to me that we don't give a lot of airtime to in churches. And let me just warn you that this point I'm about to make is not for the spiritually naive. It's not for the spiritually immature or half-hearted. Uh, what I mean by that, it's not for those who sort of have one foot in Christianity and one foot in the world. It, it's for those ready to look at their life not in the short term, but in the perspective of eternity. And not everyone is prepared to do that. But here goes. 
God's plan for your life may not include the good life. It may, but it may not. We're told the good life is meant to provide material gain and physical health and relational joy, vocational success, personal fulfillment. Very rarely does one's definition of the good life talk about character development. Uh, what we call in the Alliance Church, sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. The good life doesn't usually include terms like soul formation or, or kingdom investment. Uh, it certainly doesn't include words like martyrdom or deprivation or hardship. In other words, we don't think of those things that make us strong, make us resilient, uh, make us go deeper or drawing us closer to God. But you know, we should. We should. Because God, I believe, isn't primarily in the good life business. Uh, his number one agenda, I think, is in the deeper life business. In the abundant life business. The soul life. And sometimes what is best for the soul life isn't anything related to what we think of as the good life. Um... In biology, it's called the adversity principle. Oh, tell us more, guy who got 51% in grade 12 biology. Um, biologists have discovered that habitual, ongoing ease is not good for the species. Uh, an existence without challenge, without hardship, without difficulty is not healthy, it turns out. You want to... You want to test me on this? Go to the Toronto Zoo. Go to the African Lion Safari. See if those flabby animals are thriving. Uh, they have their food delivered to them every day. You see it in rainforest trees because water is everywhere and they don't have to extend their root system uh, more than a few feet below the surface, which is why the slightest windstorm will knock them down. But a tree that's planted in dry land and, and its roots have to go down 30 feet or more to search for water. I mean, a hurricane can't knock those trees down. And it's kind of the same in our life. Our pain is often what has developed us, what has strengthened us, what has allowed us the ability to grow. So if you tell me what has challenged you, maybe even what has wounded you, I'll tell you what has made you. And one day, I, I hope my new friends, uh, Kamran and Malika, uh, will share with us a bit of their story. Um, being Christians in Iran, where being public about their faith in 2022 could mean imprisonment, torture, execution, stoning. And the investment they've made to come to this country the loss of their medical professional status as they kind of fight and study and jump through hoops, driving Ubers in the meantime. And as I witnessed and had coffee with them, and as they shared their story, all I saw was a life of gratitude and of humility and of contentment. I'll close with this. I'm a man of a certain age who was raised in a Christian home, and so I had lots of exposure to Christian culture, Christian celebrities, if you will. Most of these names 
will not mean anything to all y'all. Evie, anyone? Okay, yeah, Sandy Patty. All right, uh, Sheila Walsh, Hal Lindsey, Keith Green, uh, second chapter of Acts. <laughs> I could do this all day. Um, the Johnny Cash Gospel Road movie, kind of cheesy, but kind of awesome at the same time. Well, there was one lady's story, her book, her album in my parents' record collection that really caught my attention as a kid. Back when our churches would show reel-to-reel films on Sunday nights or New Year's Eve. Yeah? Okay. I'm not alone in this world? Good. I remember watching the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. Raise your hand if you've heard that name before. Okay. About half of us. Um, Her life is a living illustration of Philippians 4.13 in action. In fact, I think... I subconsciously think of Johnny every time I jump into a pool or a lake because as a teenager, she had this tragic diving accident that left her a quadriplegic for for life. No use of her legs or hands. Uh, She needs to be fed. Uh, She's wheelchair-bound for life. Johnny was never able to have children. Uh, And unless God miraculously intervenes, she'll never be able to walk, never be able to touch or feel with her hands, never be able to dress herself, comb her hair, even embrace her husband. Yes, she, Joni um, would get married even after this accident. She's had to fight pressure sores from her wheelchair. She'll always have weak shoulder muscles that come from holding up her head back problems from having to sit in the same position all the time, neck difficulties from, you know, constantly having to look up at people while she's in her wheelchair. I know she dreams of being able to walk on the beach at sunset, feel the sand beneath her toes, or how about just even doing simple things like brushing her teeth, cooking, cleaning, making her own bed. Um, But if you know or have heard about Johnny's legacy, if you've heard her talk, everyone would describe Johnny with words like this, bright, cheerful, happy, joyful, bubbly, funny, and most importantly, content. She wasn't always that way. When the accident first happened, she couldn't understand why God would allow such a tragic thing to happen to her. She got angry. She got bitter. There was a point in her life where she, she, she considered suicide. She couldn't face the prospect of sitting down the rest of her life without using hands or legs. All her hopes, dreams were dashed, gone. Nothing that she had dreamed of in her life was going to happen. But over time, Johnny began to develop this personal relationship with God, and one that surprised her with the kind of depth, the kind of fulfillment, uh, she began to discover what she actually never knew before, joy. And joy came from discovering that she was a child of God, and that being in a relationship with her Heavenly Father through Christ was 
really what she needed to be fulfilled. Today, I mean, she has a life that she never would have predicted. It turns out she is a genius artist. An artist? How? She, she draws with the pen in her mouth. Check out some of her, her work. I mean, I can hardly draw a stick man. And this is what Johnny creates as a quadriplegic. Um, she's very talented vocalist. Um, in fact, we had this, we had this very picture in my, in my home growing up. It's fascinated by a woman who could draw that with her mouth. She's a radio host, an author, 17 books. She's an advocate for differently abled people around the world. One of the projects she leads actually collects old wheelchairs and then cleans them up and pumps up air in the tires and tightens the screws and replaces the old worn out parts and then she gives them to underprivileged uh, children in, in developing countries. Um, these are children who without Johnny would have to crawl around in the dirt because they, they'd never be able to afford something like a wheelchair. She's making a difference with her life in a way that that she could never have made any other way. And Joni will tell you that the life she has is good, that God has been very good to her, and that she's very content. Does she want to be healed? Of course, of course. Does she enjoy being in a wheelchair? No. But does she think that walking is what brings her ultimate happiness? She'd say that's crazy. She might... She might even pray a version of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those, those guys who were thrust into a fiery furnace who said, she'd pray something like maybe, my God can heal me, but even if he doesn't, he is good, he's with me, he's good all the time. Which is why if you ask Joni for a list of her favorite passages from the Bible, Philippians 4.13 will be right up there. All of the other stuff that we build our lives around and, and make the source of our happiness won't deliver because it's not the if-onlys, but it's the as-onlys. Uh, living as only someone in Christ can live. And that's what Johnny has come to know, and that's what Paul knew. And folks, it, it's something that we can live out. It's something I can live out. But don't take my word for it. Why don't we listen to Joni herself speaking? Watch this. Hi, I'm John Erickson Tata, and I'm often asked how I manage my pain. Well, when its fangs sink into my hips and lower back, that's my signal. Begin deep breathing. I then walk into the pain, a little like those three Hebrews who walked into Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. And while the intense heat of pain surrounds me and presses in on me, I have a conversation with it. But I don't say, man, this is killing me, or I can't stand this, or oh no, not again. Mm -mm, no. Words like that are fraught with anxiety, and you know that fear only makes things worse. Instead, I serenely acknowledge the pain. I feel its weight, its pressure on all sides. And then I take one more step of faith, I ask my Savior to meet me in it, to not let it crush me, but to be there in it. And He always meets me, He does. 
just like he met those three Hebrews in that white-hot furnace of fire. Honestly, it mitigates the pain. It really does. It helps me to suffer well. Finding Jesus in the middle of my pain helps me be in an unhappy place well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Though we are pressed in on all sides, we're not crushed. Oh friend, do not let pain crush you. It doesn't have to.